listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. so much time with the Lord over this message, and I feel like, man, maybe um, uh, I still don't know what he's going to say completely, so um, so I really, pre- I really sincerely do appreciate Ricardo's prayer over me because um, I'm a guy who likes to have everything worked out and typed out and articulated and crafted, you know, and, and the Lord is really just breaking me of that because... He, uh, we, we go through this process where, you know, uh, I went to, um, a preaching school a while back. It was like a three day, um, seminar, um, uh, up in Redding, California. And, uh, it was really super cool. Um, but one of the most important things I learned there is that the message, this, this, this is not the same as this right here. And, and so I can spend all the time and the effort crafting a message so that it's catchy and you can walk away with three points and no more than three or you won't remember them, you know, and and I can put all that work in and it can still not hold the power and authority of God. It can be catchy, it can be memorable, but it's not going to break any chains. It's not going to hold any authority in your life as the word of God. And, and so one thing I learned at that school is that really the, the message as a, as a preacher, and I really would never call myself that, but as a preacher, I learned that the anointing of God in a message comes out of the secret place with my relationship with him. And I believe that that's the way it is a lot for just ministry and and discipleship and evangelism. I believe that the authority for those things comes out of our relationship with God in the secret place. And uh, so we've been in this ministry of of prayer. um, And I I just think the thing that the Lord taught me through that class the most is that he doesn't anoint message, he anoints me in the secret place to to be able to bring forth his message. The anointing doesn't happen on the stage. The anointing happens in the secret place, and I believe that for you. I believe that for you. And and, and so the the one-on-one quiet time relationship where you're in prayer with the Father where you're reading scripture, where you're meditating and just being silent before him, those times are where the deep work is done. And that's really the heart of this whole sermon series that we've been in, Hold Fast, because really, honestly, our culture wants us to do everything but that, right? And the enemy just wants to get us to settle for anything less than that. Even if it's good, right? It can be good and not be God. Get that? And so here's the deal is that the, the, the message comes from my one-on-one going before the Lord, praying, Lord, God, what do you want to say to the mission church? 
And that's where the message comes from. I believe good worship leaders, the anointing doesn't come on the stage. It comes when they worship in private, one-on-one, right? And, and, and I believe that that is, the, that is the way it is for every ministry, every believer. The, the, the thing that we, the, the authority that we carry comes from Christ, right? But we, we grow in that authority in the secret place with God, one-on-one, right? And so this whole sermon series has really been birthed out of that idea is that we as a church, and it's not the sexiest thing to say ever to be in the secret place with God, like, you know, um, but the whole concept of this sermon series is we have to embrace this one-on-one relationship with God. And if we don't, everything else will be superficial and powerless. Because the power and the authority is in Christ. And if we only can we tap into it, if we are hidden in Christ, right? And so here's the deal. Uh, We have to hold on to the simple things. We have to, as believers, we have to hold fast to the simple things. Even though our culture tries to distract us, even though, um, you know, our sin nature from within all of us, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, how many times have you sat down to pray, right? And you can think of everything else but what you want to pray for. You can think about all the groceries you need to get. Oh, I got to use that coupon later. Oh, like, oh, um, I think a movie's going on, on sale. I better get it on iTunes, like, before the sale's over. Or, like, how many times have you sat down to get in the quiet place with God, and you can think of everything else but God? Right? We have to get in this place where we set aside all the distractions and we say, no, you will not steal this time. I heard a message from Francis Chan, who's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite speakers. And I almost got a little envious of him um, until I heard the whole story. But uh, he has this house in San Francisco, and he lives in the inner city of San Francisco. But he has a sliding glass door in his bedroom that he just walks out every morning and goes into a Home Depot 10 by 12 shed that he built. It's like a do-it-yourself kind of come-in-a-box job. And, um, And he just goes into that shed to pray. He's like, I got seven kids, man. I need space. I need, I need space to pray. So I built my space, right? And, um, and so, like, I, I can totally relate to that because it just feels like the minute I open my eyes, my need machines need, right? My kids, right? There's distractions. And, and, and Francis Chan actually told a really funny story about how the city uh, inspectors keep shutting down his places to pray. Like he had his garage, he, before he had his shed, he, ha- he built a closet in his garage and he had the garage door open and the city inspector said, oh, you can't have a closet in your garage. And then he's like, okay, sorry, you know, I'll, I'll tear it down or whatever. And then he built a shed. Oh, you can't have a shed in your backyard. <laughs> he's like, 
I just want some quiet to pray. Like, you know, and that's what the heart of this series is, is, is embracing the desire to be one-on-one with God and to develop that relationship uh, because he wants to be in friendship with you. He wants to be in friendship with you. Not only is he a creator that created you and the very breath that you need to, to be able to live, he created you and the breath and the mountains and the oceans and the, the whole universe's being, but that same God who lives, First Timothy says, in unapproachable light, the amount of light that surrounds him will drive you to the ground, wants to be in friendship with you. And so that's where this series is birthed out, is we have got to embrace the simple friendship of God. Otherwise, we carry no authority, no power as believers through Christ. It's not our power, it's not our authority, it's Christ. I just want to be clear about that. And so we talked about remembering who we pray to on the first week, remembering that this God who spoke creation into being, right? His very words create, right? And who dwells in unapproachable light and how there are four living creatures surrounding it all times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, saying that at all times, right? This is the God that we pray to, and, and through Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, we can enter and approach his throne with boldness when we are covered in Christ, right? Right? So that was week one. We remember who we pray to. That's, that's how we discover the power of prayer is we remember who it is that we're praying to, right? And week two, what was week two? Anybody remember? You remember because you spoke on it. I know that. Nobody remembers your message, Ricardo. <laughs> personal relationship with God, the relational aspect of prayer, right? The relational aspect. God wants to be in friendship with you through prayer. He wants you to talk to him, but he also wants you to not talk to him and just listen sometimes, right? And Brian talked about the power of scripture in prayer. There is a book called um, praying the scriptures that I gave to our whole leadership team one time. And that book is so incredibly powerful. If you've ever felt like you don't know really what to say when you pray, get that book. It will teach you. And it's so easy. And, and, and then we talked about spiritual warfare, right? We talked about praying in the midst of spiritual warfare and that Jesus has authorized us as believers to uh, heal the sick 
and to cast out demons. And, and, and because we are hidden in Christ, we are authorized by Christ. And last week, Shandon shocked the heck out of me when she brought this word she, she, uh, about does God still answer prayer today? And if you missed that, go back and listen to it because she, it was her first time speaking to our congregation and she totally crushed it. And uh, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to that one. But today, what we ha- we've talked a lot about praying for ourselves, right? Praying against um, spiritual attack, praying the scriptures, um, friendship with God, personal, the personal nature of our prayer life with God. But what about, there's this, there's this word used in church a lot of the time, and it's called intercession. And intercession basically means that you pray for someone else. That's all it means. It sounds real fancy. You know, it sounds like... Um, you know, one of those church words that everybody says and nobody really knows what it means. But all it means is you just pray for somebody else. You stand in the gap with God for another person, for not for your benefit, right? And so I want to look at Exodus 32 and 33 today. And we're going to talk about intercession um, and the power that we have to tap into with, with intercession. Um, I think Exodus 32 and 33 are some of my all-time favorite scriptures in the Bible. Like, if you look at my Bible, it's, like, all, almost all highlighted, all the, the whole chapters. And it's because, not, it's because I'm drawn to story. Like, I feel like... Jesus taught within story a lot of time, and so the narrative of 32 and 33 are just so, so, so good. Um, but also, there's just mind-boggling things that happen in, in, in these chapters. And so, um, so man, uh, so we have Israel, right? The, these these. This, this grouping of people who are slaves in Egypt and they are being brutally abused and they're crying out to God and, and God actually hears their cry and he chooses this guy Moses who is, who is actually a murderer, right? A lot of people don't know that some of these, guy, these guys in the Bible that God used like were not like pristine good dudes like Tim, right? Like some of these some of these guys, like Moses was a murderer. Paul was literally killing Christians before God got a hold of him. Like if there's one thing that we should know about God in the Bible, it's that he can use anybody at any time if it's his will, right? And so God comes to this murderer, Moses, into into a burning bush, and he said, I've heard the oppression of my people. I've heard the cries of my people, and I want to bring them out of slavery, and I want you to lead them. And Moses is like, nope. Not me, God. I'm not not a quick, 
quick-witted or um, slow of speech, and, and they have this whole, you know, kind of dialogue, which with God you always kind of lose, you know, most of the time. And uh, so Moses ends up beginning to, to lead the charge of, of freeing the Israelite people, and, and, uh, and some very dramatic events take place. Moses goes to the Pharaoh, let my people go, right? Who's heard that song? And Pharaoh doesn't want to do it, so God sends all these plagues on Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh finally, finally, after a long uh, stint, releases the Israelite people. Uh, but then after he releases them, he changes his mind, right? And, and just about the time that the Israelites are crossing the Red Sea, which is a huge, huge sea, Pharaoh's men come, come barging in right into the Red Sea, and the Red Sea closes around them, and the Israelites escape to freedom. Isn't that incredible? That's what we sing in that song. You know, you split the sea so I could walk right through it, right? He did that for Israel, right? That's, that's what we're recognizing. And so he parted the Red Sea and then swallowed Pharaoh's army, and the people escaped um, but they wandered in the wilderness forever because they were uh, complaining and, and, and hard, hardening their hearts toward God. And finally, finally, after all these chapters, they reach Mount Sinai, which is the fulfillment of the promise to God that he would lead the people out of Egypt, right? And this is where we're going to kind of pick up the story today is God comes near to meet with Moses and invites the Israelite people to make covenant with him. And covenant is a really important word in the Bible. It's, 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 it's not just a agreement. It's like a bond. It's like when, you, it, like, like when I was a kid, we, would, we had this thing called blood brothers, and we would like cut our hand and like shake hands, which is like, whoa, you should not do that, right? <laughs> right? And we, if you did that, we were blood brothers. Like I had your back. And you had my back. And in Columbus, Ohio, that meant something, man. Right? A covenant is so much more than just an agreement or a commitment. It's like you and me are the same. We are one. And if somebody messes with you, they mess with me, right? And they don't want that because I'm a big dude, right? Wow, that was silent. <laughs> I'm not fooling anybody here. Man, shoot. Wow. But if you make covenant with God, which is what God is inviting the Israelite people to do, like, that's a pretty good deal, right? Like, back in those days, Jesus wasn't around, so they had to make sacrifices to atone for their sins. And here God is saying, I want to enter into covenant with you. You will be my people. And the scriptures say this in Exodus. You don't have to turn there because we're going to spend most of our time in 22 and 23. But in Exodus 19, it says this. This is when, when, when God invites them to make covenant. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people, of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, talking about all the plagues and crushing them with the sea, and how I 
bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. All the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelite people. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord as if he didn't already know. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. The people entered covenant relationship with God. We are one. You are my people. You are my treasured possession. I got your back, and you just need to be in relationship with me. And God began giving, so, so Moses goes up on the mountain, right? And God began giving Moses these instructions to build the tabernacle, and he gave him the Ten Commandments. And the thing I love about the Ten Commandments is that it says that the, the words that were chiseled on the stone tablets were the writing of God, because God wrote them. Like, that is, right? Um, and while he's up there getting all this download from God, like, about what the tabernacle is going to look, the tabernacle is this tent that the Israelite people would take from place to place with them, and they would, uh, it, it was the literal place where God's presence was to dwell among the people, Right? And uh, so, so God is giving him instructions to build this tabernacle. And uh, what happens? While literally the chisel even, isn't even set down yet on the Ten Commandments, and the people of Israel broke the covenant of God. They broke covenant with God. He, Moses had been up there for a long time. He'd been up there 40 days and for 40 nights, and eventually, probably around day 15, the Israelite people were like, man, I wonder if he's ever coming back. Like, maybe he just is like God made him an angel or something, you know? Maybe he's just going to be up there forever, and we, we need a God to worship. Like, literally, if we were to look out on the mountains... The presence of God was on the mountain, visibly. You could see it. It was a cloud. And yet the Israelite people are like, are down here on like day 15, 20, you know, something like that, thinking like, oh, well, I see it, but I don't know where Moses is, so we should probably find another God. And so they go to Aaron, Moses' uh, assistant, and they say, make us, make us a God. Make us a God. And, and Aaron's response should have been, He's right there. That's the only God you need. But instead, he said, give me all your gold. He melted it, and he chiseled out a, uh, a calf for them to worship. And I just, I can't imagine the Lord's heartbreak at, at this moment. 
Because the very first commandment is what? And what's number two? Shall have no other gods before me, right? I, I just can't even imagine the heartbreak of the Lord. And, and so, so obviously God knows what's going on. Moses doesn't. But we, we enter into Exodus 32, verse 7, and it says this. The Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. See, now they're Moses's people, right? Like, that's a total parent thing right there. Like, oh, no, that's your son right now, right? <laughs> Go down for your people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are our your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Let's just think about that for a moment. They're saying that this calf that they just watched Aaron make out of the jewelry that they were wearing, this is the God that brought them out of Egypt. How ludicrous is that, right? And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone. Leave me alone, Moses. Let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. The Israelite people broke covenant with the Lord, and, and now the Lord is like, man, forget this, right? Moses, how about I just start over again with you? I mean, if I asked you, you'd probably say, no, I wouldn't do that. But it would probably be tempting, right? Like, oh, man, I could have everything just the way I want it, right? Everyone would be connected to me. So if there's a, you know, a rich nephew, he's going to have to give me some money because I'm the patriarch, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but I just, think, I just think like for a minute there, you know, I, in my own spirit, I think, hmm, I probably would have considered that for a minute. But Moses didn't. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? With great power and with a mighty hand, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your anger, your burning anger, and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give 
to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord, this is incredible, verse 14 blows my mind every time. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So Moses, that's intercession right there. That is what intercession looks like. You step in the gap. Moses had everything to gain for God to step, for God to start over with just him. Think about that. But he stood in the gap for his people and said, he, he, he did a couple of things. He reminded the Lord of his nature and that his, the power that he's already shown that the Egyptians should not be used in vain. He reminds him of his promises and his faithfulness. And, he, and, and Moses is like seeking God's will, but, but little does he know that Moses in his intercession is already achieving God's will. Right? Because God, God could have destroyed them right then and there, right? He could have spoken destruction over the Israelite people, and it would have been like uh, infinity war, like the, the end, right? Just ash everywhere, right? But no, God says, I'm going to do this. What are you going to do about it? Right? God pushes Moses towards intercession. He challenged Moses to get involved, basically saying, here is what I will do unless you intervene. God declares his holy anger in other passages of Scripture as a way of inviting intervention. See Amos and Jonah for those descriptions. He shows he, he, uh, what he might do to Israel uh, if Moses doesn't intercede. Jonah, God gives Jonah this task of going to Nineveh and telling the people of Nineveh that in 40 days I'm going to destroy you. But Jonah knew this was actually an invitation for the Ninevites to repent, right? And that's why he didn't like it, because he wanted God to destroy them, right? But, and they did repent, and God did not destroy them. Like, this is a similar thing, right? God invites Moses to pray and to get involved, right? He invites him into intercession. God turned away his wrath because of Moses' intercession, right, for his people. He didn't change his plans, though. That's the thing I want you to get. It's not like God changed his mind, Moses carried out the plans of God. So I want to continue on. 
because it would have been really easy to settle for just not dying, right? It would have been really easy to settle for um, the Egyptian people or the Israelite people not being wiped off the face of the earth. It would have been easy to just settle right there. But the Lord says to Moses, uh, I want you to depart and, and I want you guys to go forward into the land that I've given you. We're going to pick up that part in Exodus 33, verse 1. We're going to read through 3. So, the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses remembered. Uh, reminded God of his promise, and not that he forgot, but it just is repeated right here. I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Pezzacites, Somethingites, and Jebusites. If you just say it with authority, people don't know the difference, right? Amen. <laughs> go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So God is saying, okay, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to destroy the Israelite people, but you still, I still can't be in your presence, you're a stiff-necked people, and I cannot be around you. So here's what I'll, I'll, I'll fulfill my promise to give you the land, right? But I'm not going with you. I'll send, I'll send an angel, you know, Angel Tim. I'll send Angel Tim to go with you, right? It would have been really easy to settle like, thank you, God, right? Thank you. Thank you for not destroying me, right? Thank you for not destroying us, right? It would have been real easy to settle right there. If we skip ahead to verse 7, what does Moses do? Now Moses, this is so important to the series right here, really dig into this. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, a pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. Ooh. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I, I just want to pause here for a moment and I want to say where it says that uh, 
the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. What that literally means is there was no vision, no, um, you know, no inter- intermediate. It was God and Moses would speak back and forth like friends directly to each other. It doesn't literally mean faith face to face. That particular word phrasing face to face almost is better interpreted mouth to mouth. That's kind of weird, but like <laughs> like directly, right? Cuz no cuz we learn later nobody can see God's face. And I just want to point that out is that that's literally direct communication, not necessarily that Moses saw God's face. But I want to point out this this uh this other verse here. Pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. See, there's something to this that we have to grasp. This tent of meeting that Moses was in was a, was a place of intimacy with the Lord, right? And, and it was away from the camp, right? It was separated, right? It was a place where Moses would go in and speak to the Lord as if he was a friend. We have got to find that place. As believers, we have got to find that place. We've got to find our own tent of meeting. And, and, and I believe in these moments, this tent of meeting, these conversations, we don't know what, what was said, but the foundation of this personal relationship with God would lay the ground for what happens next. Right? It would have been real easy to settle for not being destroyed, but it continues. In verse 13, now therefore I have found favor in your sight. This is Moses speaking to God. Show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider to me that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, has, have you ever like charged yourself up to talk to someone who's like um, maybe in authority over you, like you're going to present your case, right? And you go in and you like figure out, you know, you plan out kind of what you're going to say and you have like this mentality of like, well, I'm going to go in and I'm not even going to give him a chance to talk. I'm just going to say this and I'm going to say, God, you know, these are your people and I'm not settling for any angel to go into the promised land. I am going to wait on you to decide to go with us. And, 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 and then maybe the person agrees with you like suddenly and you're not ready for it, right? 
right? right? Like, like, cause that's what happens here. <laughs> like God says, okay, I'll, I'll go with you and I'll give you rest. But Moses continues and he said, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, and I, your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. The Lord's already agreed to go with him, but Moses wasn't ready to hear it yet, right? And it says this, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. As the worship team comes up, I... I just want to point out to you a couple of things is that not only does the Lord hear your prayers, but he invites you to get involved in interceding for others. What part is he asking you to get involved in? Like, I think prayer is such a difficult topic because it's not an A plus B equals C kind of scenario. Because in the end, God is God and he's going to do what he wills, right? And I don't know the answer why he, why he answers some prayers and, and, and doesn't others, right? I don't know. I, I can't understand the mind of God. None of us can. But here's the thing is over and over and over again, this book calls us to pray for others, right? And so we can be obedient. We can get involved and intercede, which is obviously part of God's plan, right? See, the thing is about the tent of meeting, Moses setting up the tent, is that we don't have to go far off to be with God. We don't need to take a tent with us. When Jesus died on the cross and resurrected and gave us the Holy Spirit, his spirit put his spirit within us, we are the tent. Right? The Spirit of God dwells within us. And so we have to continue to put before God the people that are on our heart in intercession. Because God wants to, God, just like he could have destroyed the Israelite people with a word, not even a word, maybe a blink, gone, right? He invited Moses to get involved because he he wants to work through us. He wants it to be a partnership, right? So what is God inviting you to partner with him in prayer?
you know, I was pretty lost when I was a kid. My, uh, my family was together, but they weren't divorced, but they were pretty broken. And I made a lot of bad decisions in my life. So much so that, you know, I very, very easily could have gone down a different road. And I know, I, I don't even have to ask, I know there's other people in this room that resonate with that. But every once in a while, I'd go upstairs in our little condo, and I would catch my mom on her knees praying for me. And I believe the Lord heard those prayers. And that was part of his plan. And I wish I had a formula for you that uh, there's probably a mother here somewhere in this room that's been praying for their child relentlessly that they would know Jesus, that they would turn from uh, wickedness or whatever. And I don't know, I can't tell you why it hasn't happened yet. But I can tell you, don't stop. Don't stop. You never know what's going to happen in the heavenly realms because God is God. It's not like an A plus B equals C situation. Stay involved. Because God is inviting you. He wants to work through you. He wants to work in partnership, in friendship with you. What is he calling you to intercede for? What is he calling you to stand in the gap for? Right? Because the power and the anointing when you go out into the world comes from this friendship with God, this partnership with God. If you are not hidden in Christ, you have no authority of Christ. So Jesus, we come before you today. Father, and first of all, I just want to thank you for all the believers that you have burdened the hearts of to intercede for other people. I look around this room and I can see lots of prayer warriors, Father, who are on their knees standing in the gap for other people so much like my mom did. Father, I pray you would encourage them, Lord. I know your ear hears their prayers, Father. I pray, God, I don't claim to understand you fully, God. But I do know that you call us to pray for others, to pray for the lost, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach your gospel to the ends of the earth. 
Lord, and come near in friendship to them right now, Lord. Strengthen them, Lord. Move on their behalf, God. Lord, may we find that place in our life, though we may be the tent now where the Spirit dwells within us, Lord. We may be the tent of meeting now, but may we find space in our life to speak with you as a friend, Lord, to confess our sins to you, Lord, to intercede for others, Lord to claim your promises, to hear your words, Father. Hear your voice speak to us, Lord, even if it's in the silence, Lord. Father, help us to be diligent about finding that space. Lord, I pray that all those who are interceding for people who are lost right now, God, that, that you would move on their behalf right now in the mighty name of Jesus. You would reveal to your, yourself to those who are lost, God. Thank you for calling us friend, God. Thank you for hiding us in Christ. As the ushers come forward, take our tithes and offering now. Lord, you've given us everything. I say it week after week because it never ceases to be true, Lord. You've given us everything. Every blessing is a gift from you, Lord. So we give back to you what is already yours now, and we ask you to take it and build your kingdom with it. In Jesus' name, amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.